I found out that my ongoing dialogue with myself was that I'm not enough. And I've been telling myself that since I was a little girl. I'm just not enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm just not enough to matter to people. I don't matter. I could see all the relationships around me and I was thinking like, wow, this is this is really pervasive in my brain. And I was finally turning around and realizing that like I needed to focus on loving myself. Period. Hello friends, I'm Jen Dean, and this is The Gardenia Project, a storytelling podcast and portrait project for women to share an event that happened in their life which changed who they are. As with most of our guests, when you meet Jessica, you would never guess her story. She's a friendly, bright-eyed, soft-spoken, beautiful woman. I was surprised to find out that she was 38 when I asked because she looks a lot younger to me. She is married with three children. She teaches yoga and she runs a business called the Warrior Soul Project, where she sells works of art from pieces like sea glass and rocks that she gathers on the beaches of Maine. And there's much more. I'll warn you, though, that as the story continues, there could be triggers for some of you, and I want you to proceed with caution. Like most of our guests, Jessica doesn't get into all the details about the actual trauma, but it is a sensitive subject and it could bring up some big emotions. When I started EMDR, I was really excited because, I mean, it just, it was hope for me. It was hope. I kept seeing all these stories about how it was literally changing people who had PTSD. It was changing their lives. And at that point, I was hanging on by a very thin thread. <laughs> and so I needed that hope. EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. It's a psychotherapy treatment designed to alleviate the distress associated with traumatic memories. It enables people to heal from the symptoms and emotional distress that are the result of a disturbing life experience. It can involve rapid eye movement, hand tapping, or audio stimulation while the patient talks about the trauma. Repeated studies show that by using EMDR therapy, people can experience the benefits of psychotherapy that once took many years to make a difference. At this point, there's so much research that EMDR is now recognized as an effective form of treatment for trauma by organizations like the American Psychiatric Organization, the World Health Organization, and the Department of Defense. When I started, after day one, I was like, oh man, I can't do this. I would go into the EMDR experience and I would get one bad memory after another after another. It was like a punch in the face, bam, bam, for, for an hour. I would just get punched in the gut. So I got punched in the gut over and over and over, and I would go home, and for a week I could barely function. I mean, it, EMDR takes, it can take so much out of you because it is really bringing stuff up. It started bringing up memories from my childhood that I, you know, haven't thought about ever, really, not ever. So the year is 1991, and Jessica's a pretty normal kid. She does well in school, she has a lot of friends, she plays sports, she has a pretty straightforward childhood. I was a confident, happy, beautiful child, but eventually, you know, when I think 
We had just had a big move, and I was just in the beginning stages of puberty, and my hormones were going crazy. I um, went from this happy, confident child to a child who started pulling out her hair. Right away, it became a big issue. I mean, I was, I loved myself. I thought I was just the bee's knees. And it was like overnight it changed. And I was like, what is wrong with me? You know, 10 years old, I'm a freak. I'm a freak. And that feeling of being a freak just grew and grew and grew. We finally figured out that I had a disorder called trichotillomania um, and started learning more about that, taking medication, trying therapy, doing all these things. Nothing really helped. You know, sometimes it would stop. I could stop for little points in time but never for any length of time. And so then that just got worse and grew. And as that grew, my self-hatred grew. And I would look in the mirror and literally see a monster. I mean, I look back on pictures of myself and I'm like, man, you were gorgeous. You are gorgeous. You've always been gorgeous. But I still have days where I have to look in the mirror and repeat, you are gorgeous. So you're measuring yourself against an impossible standard, which is pretty much what we all as women do, right? We measure ourselves against whatever's being thrown at us in the media. And I never measured up. It was not even not even close. <laughs> I mean, pretty quickly, I, I really began despising myself. And, and it wasn't just my hair. It was everything. I mean, I'd look in the mirror and see weight that wasn't there, you know, or my face. Sometimes my face would literally look warped, like a monster. I mean, I really, truly saw a monster. Despite the trichotillomania and the body dysmorphia, Jessica is still really well-liked in high school. She's kind and constantly wants to help other people, something that will remain consistent throughout her life. But like most kids that age, she struggles to get through high school and she really just wants to be done. After graduation, Jessica moves to Colorado, where her dad lived at the time. It's very much like a party town. It's like vacation land and life's just a big party. And so I also started drinking more and partying more because that's what everyone does in places like that. And I realized at that time that drinking really alleviated the crazy anxiety that I lived with every second of every day. So I was like, oh, this is great. You know, everybody's drinking. It's This is fun. This is whatever. So I started drinking more and more. She's coping by drinking and partying with her friends, but she's still full of anxiety and self-loathing. And here's where the story takes a turn. I call it the day that forever changed me. I was at home and I had had like a glass of wine at home and my roommates came home and said, oh, we're heading to the bar. Do you want to come? And I was underage, but I went to plenty of bars then. All I remember is somebody buying me a shot and a beer. And so I'd had a glass of wine at home. You know, I was by no means drunk and I had a shot and a beer in the bar and then all of a sudden I was falling over drunk. You know, I was walking through the bar and everybody was like, whoa, you know, what happened to Jess? She's really wasted. And so they sat me on the front steps of the bar. We lived like a block or two away, but I obviously couldn't make it home. And so they said, we're gonna go 
around back and get our car and then we'll come back and get you and you know you just wait right here and there wasn't really anywhere I was going I couldn't walk at that point and they went and got their car and when they came back I was gone and they just figured I must have somehow stumbled away somewhere and so they spent the next however many hours I don't know how many it was looking for me um, to no avail which was really strange for them but no one went to the police because I wasn't supposed to be in that bar. The next thing I remember was just waking up and waking up feeling a lot of pain you know obviously I had been drugged there was no way that the, the amount that I had to drink led to the state that I was in and it was one of those nights where the clouds are out and so there's no moon and there's no stars and there's no light. My clothes were ripped, you know, I didn't have all of the same clothes. My body was bruised and I was so confused and all I felt was pure terror. I'll never forget that feeling of terror. And so I panicked. I remember just like trying to run and I just I didn't know which direction to walk. I was in the woods. I realized at this point I was in the woods. No idea which woods or where or how I got there or any of it. And so I, I half stumbled, you know, crawled basically and just crawled. And I somehow eventually made it to a road. When I was on that road, I was like, okay, I mean, I, I'm just going to start walking because I don't know where I am. And Eventually a car came and I stuck out my thumb and it was a car full of young guys and they were drunk and they stopped and they laughed and they said, you're walking the wrong way, sister. <laughs> and then they kept going and I was like, what is happening to me right now? Is, is this real? And eventually another car came and it was a nice man, you know, I got in the car with him even though it was scary and normally I would never even do that but I had no choice so I got in the car with him and he, he he brought me home and my roommates got home after and I was kind of like a mute I couldn't speak and I think they just assumed that I had had too much to drink you know nobody wanted to I think face the reality of the situation and they kind of sent me to bed I had a cubby hole under my bed, and so I didn't really go to bed. I went under my bed, and I hid in that cubby hole, and I didn't come out for a week. That's when, like, my whole inner world, which was already a very fragile place, just came crashing down. Eventually, she does come out from under her bed. She had lost her job. She has to go find a new one. And she moves on in a sort of fashion because she has to, but she doesn't know how to cope with all the anxiety and the pain and the trauma. So she keeps drinking. She's sort of living in a haze. It's what trauma that isn't processed does to you. It just doesn't leave. I was hurting. I mean, I was hurting big. And I thought I hated myself before, <laughs> and I hated myself extra after. And then I started questioning, like, did I do something wrong? Did I have more to what drink did I, than I thought? Was that my fault? Was something wrong? My Too fault. much to drink. What did I, did, I, did I do something wrong? Like, did I have more All those terrible questions that people that end up in situations like that tend to ask themselves. And then 
I just moved on, but my moving on looked more like, okay, you know, I'm going to go to work and then I'm going to have a drink as soon as I can. And then I'm going to have another. And then every day it was like, okay, I can't get by without that glass of wine or that beer. It was the only thing that would cover up the extreme pain and anxiety that I was living with. And now, a message from our sponsor. It's really amazing how resilient some people are. They can go through hell and find their way back out. Jessica's story is remarkable. What she endured is jaw-dropping, but her journey of recovery is so inspiring. I also know from personal experience how different life can be when we heal from the past. In the same way that Jessica was able to release traumatic memories with EMDR, I've also found that emotional freedom technique, or EFT and tapping, works in a similar way. What I appreciate about EFT is that while you can address some deeper issues with a trained practitioner, you can also practice it on yourself. So I'm really excited to tell you that my friend and accredited EFT international master trainer, Jen Moore, is offering her next live levels one and two EFT practitioner training this August here in Maine. These trainings will give you the information and techniques you need to support yourself and others. There's lots of demonstrations, step-by-step explanations, and opportunities for practice. And if you're pursuing this professionally, it's your first step on the track towards accreditation. You can learn more at eftinstruction.com. And now, back to our story. My entire 20s, basically, was like drinking heavily, becoming a mess, stopping six months maybe, starting again, drinking heavily, becoming a mess. It was this cycle of I knew I shouldn't be doing it, but it felt like the only thing that helped me. Like none of the medications I had ever tried helped me, none of them. And I did find yoga in my 20s, and that was like this little ray of sunshine. Like, oh, you know, at least when I'm practicing yoga, I feel really good and I can get back inside myself. I might not love myself, but I'm at least treating my body nicely. And I can be just right here in the moment where every other moment of my existence was I was somewhere else. I was in the future or I was having flashbacks from the past. So yoga was that one little thing that allowed me to be in the moment. But then as soon as my yoga class would be over, I'd be like, let's go to the liquor store and buy a bottle of wine. Like most young people in the United States a decade ago, Jessica didn't have health insurance despite having a job. So she didn't really have the ability to just go get the help she needed. She said she did hit times when she would try to seek help and she would try different meds, but nothing really worked. So it just felt like repeated dead ends. And she stumbled along doing the best she could. She tried to move on and just deal with life. After a while, she met and fell in love with her husband and she had three kids. So in theory, She has a life that she loves, but trauma never really leaves. It can take a backseat for a while, but it's always there until you give it the attention and processing that it demands. So she's still coping the only way that she knows how. So when I started having kids, I wasn't drinking heavily, um, but I was still drinking. And, you know, it was like that whole mommy wine culture um, I was, it was easy to be a part of that because it was, I felt then, the only thing that would alleviate my anxiety. There was always the point where I felt like I couldn't live without it because I was just a terrible person if I wasn't drinking. 
you know, I just wasn't me and I needed alcohol to be nice and happy and to be a good mom and all of these things, which now I know is totally insane. (laughs) But that body dysmorphic disorder stuff never left. And then you hit rock bottom. Is that right? Yes. Well, I feel like I've hit rock bottom a few times. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's, I get that. I we get call that. it the dark night of the soul. And, and I've been there more than once. Um, but the thing was, even with how bad things were for me, which they were over and over bad, I never wanted to end it. Like, I, you know, I there were some times where I was like, man, this sucks. I kind of don't want to go on. But I always had an inkling in my brain that things would get better. After her third child, she'd been sober for her longest stretch. It had been years since she had a drink. Then she had a fight with her husband, and they started talking about divorce. And of course, the voices said to her, you can have a drink, everyone drinks, and I really need help because I'm really anxious, so I can just have one. That started her drinking again, and her anxiety was at another all-time high. Every day I would wake up in the morning and be like, today's the day, I can't do it anymore. I can't, it's so bad for me. And every day I would, you know, not be able to handle it and say, I'm a terrible mother, I need to drink this wine. And I reached out to my doctor and I reached out to a psychologist to get some testing. So at this point, she's at this all time high with her anxiety and she can't stop herself from drinking to self-medicate. So she reaches out to doctors again She knows she needs outside help. She did have insurance, but it was going to run out. So she's basically begging doctors and psychologists for help, but they would just put her on wait lists. She said she was freaking out because she knew she needed help fast. And they just kept saying, yeah, you're gonna have to wait. And she hit this wall. She knew she couldn't take it anymore. And she said she was just at the end of her rope. She didn't wanna be here. I didn't wanna do it anymore at all. I was like, I'm done. I keep trying. I keep doing yoga. I keep doing all of these other things. I have all these tools, but they're not working. And when you get super low, you don't even want to do yoga anymore. You don't want to do anything except just try to get by, you know? And so that's where I was just trying to get by. And I hit this point where I was like, I can't get by. I can't, you know, I have an aunt who committed suicide a few years ago who had bipolar And I watched her throughout her life just get progressively worse and worse and worse. And that's what I was seeing happening to me. And it was so scary. And I was like, I can't do this. You know, why am I bothering? My kids are better off without me. Everybody's better off without me. And that was the first time I had had that thought. And I told my husband, like, this is a big deal. This is serious. Somehow she finally gets in and gets psychological testing and they diagnose her with PTSD post-traumatic stress disorder. She said she remembers stopping drinking on St. Patrick's Day and learning about EMDR. And then she found a therapist. And that is where we started the podcast. I found out that my ongoing dialogue with myself was that I'm not enough. And I've been telling myself that since I was a little girl. I'm just not enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm just not enough to matter to people. I don't matter. I could see all the relationships around me and I was thinking like, wow, this is this is really pervasive in my brain. Thankfully, at this point, I was really starting to matter to myself. So it didn't really matter 
if I mattered to <laughs> others <laughs> because I was finally turning around and realizing that like I needed to focus on loving myself, period. During the EMDR sessions, she's gone back to all the early traumas, the body dysmorphia, the trichotillomania, the heavy drinking, but she still hasn't addressed the kidnapping. She didn't want to, and she actually almost quit. When the time came, she said she took her cheapskin yoga mat and some essential oils, and she prepared herself for what she expected to be the hardest EMDR session yet. So I went in and it started out like it always did. Um, but very quickly, I could see that things were different, you know, instead of it just being like one negative punch in the gut after another, positive things started happening, but I didn't know it. And so the biggest like wow thing that happened was I went into the EMDR moment and my brain took me to that place where I was hiding under the bed. Under my bed, I hid in that cupboard wall and I didn't come out for a week. That my whole inner world just came crashing down. Instead of being there alone, devastated for a week, all of a sudden all of these men, it were it, it, there were men, all of these men that have shown me real, actual, unconditional love were in my room. They were piled in my room and there were more than I remembered and they all took me and they dragged me out from under that bed. And they just hugged me and they told me over and over and over that I was gonna be okay and that I was strong and that I was beautiful and that I was perfect and that it wasn't my fault. And so I got out of the EMDR and there's sessions you go in and you come out and you go in and you come out and when I came out my therapist was bawling and I was like well this is really big huh and so when I went back in it took me to waking up in the woods when I woke up in the woods, it wasn't pitch black. That was the first thing I was like, whoa. You know, I felt a sense of peace and it wasn't pitch black. There was like a being of light that was sitting next to me. It was a man and right away he said, it's okay, you're safe, you're safe. I wasn't scared because the light was just so beautiful and so real. And I realized that I was sitting with Jesus. I am not a religious person. <laughs> At that point, I kind of was anti-Jesus. You know, I'm, I'm not a Christian, and it was weird for me. It was really strange, but it was beautiful. So I, you know, was going through this, I call it a vision, because I don't know what else you would call it, and because I wasn't sleeping, you know, I was awake, and my brain was doing this, and, and he said, you know, you're safe. I'm with you. I've always been with you. You're not alone. You've never been alone. And he said, I'm, I'm going to carry you now, you know, to safety. I'd always questioned how I got out of those woods because really it's a miracle. And so he picked me up and he carried me out of the woods. And when we got to the road, 
he put me down and he said, okay, I, I, my physical form needs to go now, but I'm here, you know, you're not alone. And the first car came and he spoke to me and he said, you're not supposed to go with them. It's okay, just let them do their thing and I'm not going anywhere. And all of the fear was gone. I mean, I've had this flashback so many times of waking up pure terror, you know, scrambling out of the woods. I can still see it. But don't have flashbacks anymore. And when I do, it's peace. That moment changed everything. And it took all of the bad moments and I was able to come at them with love and forgiveness instead of fear. What I think people need to understand about, you know, about religion and all of that stuff is that it's not about judgment. It's not about I'm better than you and my religion is better than you. And religions are all beautiful. Um, Whatever you believe in is beautiful, but the bottom line of it all is just coming back to love. Let's talk about the EMDR vision that Jessica had. Therapists have the job of making sure their patients feel safe to revisit the experience from the past. So she was in this safe space with her therapist and she was revisiting the old trauma that she had always seen in her mind as black and dark and terrifying. And then something happened. And what she saw was light and love. The bottom line is we don't really know exactly by definition what it was, but that vision that came to her, it completely changed her life. I'm not a Christian, and because I kind of was so freaked out about it, um, about seeing Jesus, I, I dove in, and what happened, he surrounded me with light, and then the light shrunk, and eventually I, I could see it, and it just turned into a small little ball of light that kind of went bloop right into my heart, and I was like, whoa, and he was like, yeah, I've always been here, right here, you know? And really, you know, I'm not Jesus, I'm just love. Jessica took this profound vision that she had, and she's been able to keep it in her heart for over a year now. Her life is more settled now than it ever has been. She told me about the ways that she takes care of herself now, the daily practice of self-love, and that while of course there's still days that she has a hard time, she's much more stable and loving toward herself in general. Now, it would be really easy for me to wrap up this podcast in a bow and say that a simple practice in self-love was really the key for Jessica and her life is great now. The truth is that the voices are always in our head. Even after hard work, they make it more quiet, but they don't disappear. We still have to catch those voices and talk back to them so they don't dictate our life. It is constant, continued work. I do this podcast for a lot of reasons, but one of them is to remind people that they're not alone in what they're experiencing, that there are so many of us, myself included, that hear those voices and are learning how to stop them so we can live the life that we really want to. On that note, I'm really excited to say publicly that I just finished creating a course for women in just that subject. It is all about how to learn to get to know ourselves, all of the elements 
that we embody and fully embrace who we are in our beautiful bodies so that we can really see ourselves as the amazing women that we are. The course is going to launch in the fall and more about it will be coming on all of my social media accounts and there'll be a website, I think in June. This has been over a year in the writing and creating and over 20 years of experience that I have with women taking portraits and hearing their stories that has given me the ability to write this course. And I cannot wait to tell you more about it. If you wanna learn more about EMDR, there is a link to the website with details on the Gardenia Project page of my website. This podcast was brought to you by the support of my Patreon supporters and Jennifer Elizabeth Moore of Modern Medicine Lady and EmpathicMastery.com. We would love to have you as a sponsor and a supporter too. So if you're interested in advertising on the podcast or supporting me, you can just send me an email from the contact page for the project at gentinephotography.com. A huge thank you to Keith Kenneth of Unseen Music for the theme music and Stephanie Cohn for her amazing help with the story arcs and the production skills. And to all of you who listen to me and reach out and tell me you love the stories, thank you so much. See you next time.